I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. It is a Verdict with Ted Cruz. We can review live from Austin. Ben Ferguson with you. And these are the stories that you may have missed that we talked about this week. First up, Catherine Heritage was let go from NBC News. And the most shocking part is apparently her notes were seized by the network. What was behind that shocking decision? Also, What's going on in Russia, and will there be accountability for Vladimir Putin for killing his top political opponent? We're going to break that down for you. And finally, the media turning on Joe Biden this week in the headlines that we never thought they would ever write. So will this continue, or is this just going to be a bad week for Biden that will go back to the media praising him? It's the Weekend Review, and it starts right now. There's also another shocking story, and I want to make sure we spend some time on this. Uh, many people may know the name Catherine Herod. She is a phenomenal reporter. She was at Fox for a long time. She then moved uh, to CBS News. She did incredible reporting on, on tough issues and stories, including um, what's been happening with the Biden crime family. She was let go slash fired, whatever you want to call it, laid off with some other people as CBS is having financial issues and downsizing. But it was shocking that she was let go in that because she's basically that one of their best and only tough investigative reporters, certainly in Washington, D.C. Now we have found out that CBS News went full communist after, quote, seizing her journalistic files. That is not what's supposed to happen in America in journalism. And yet now we're finding out not only they get rid of her, but the question is, what was she what did she have? What was she about to report on? I would say this in her. I, I know you love her reporting. I think we should try to get her on verdict because I would love to hear what she has to say about everything she uncovered that maybe she hasn't been able to tell us yet. 
So I agree with you that we should have Catherine Herridge as a guest on Verdict. We're going to try to make that happen. And I will say, look, in many ways, Catherine Herridge is a unicorn because the corporate media is so utterly corrupt that they do not report on news that is inconvenient to the regime. And Catherine Herridge was a rebel in that. She actually reported on things the Biden White House didn't like. And so CBS was engaged in layoffs. And I get, look, the media are a bunch of dishonest, lying hacks. I understand that they're firing people because people don't want to purchase their goods anymore because it is useless. They're no longer journalists. They're liars. That being said, if you're laying off people, somebody in some corporate suit in a corner office made a decision, who do we want to lay off? Let's lay off the person who actually is criticizing the White House. And so Catherine Herridge, they laid off. That was shocking in and of itself because she is such a unicorn. But then the news broke this week that, that, that not only did they lay her off, but CBS officials took the unusual step of seizing her files, her computers, her records, including her information on privileged sources. And, and, and that I've got to say. So Exp- Explain people privileged sources so people understand why that's such a it's shocking, in my opinion, abuse of power by CBS. Well, listen, reporters have sources that give information and under promises of confidentiality. And those promises are that their name will be held secret. They will not be outed. And, and that's, that, that is right at the heart, the essence of journalism, of free press. Well, CBS, the corporate suits, have said, we want to know who your sources are. And the problem is that nobody rational, with their head not inserted in a bodily orifice, believes that the corporate suits want that for any reason other than bad purposes. Um. Look, I'm going to read from, from, from an article in The Hill. So in The Hill, uh, this is something written by Jonathan Turley, who has been really terrific on a lot of these issues, but here's what he, he, what he wrote. Quote, I have spoken confidentially with current and former CBS employees who have stated that they could not recall the company ever taking such a step before. One former CBS journalist said that many employees, quote, are confused why Herridge was laid off. As one of the correspondents who broke news regularly and did a lot of original reporting, this has led to concerns about the source of the pressure. He added that there, he has never seen a seizure of records from a departing journalist and that the move has sent a chilling signal to the ranks of CBS. And that is deeply, deeply disturbing. By the way, um, there have been reports that when Catherine Herridge published stories that were critical of of the Biden White House, that CBS executives pushed back, including someone, CBS News President Ingrid Cyprian Matthews, who, who I don't know, but good God, her name sounds like something out of a science fiction movie about some <laughs> overlord in the star chamber who wants to silence all dissent. Ingrid Cyprian Matthews, 
Let's fire the reporter that dares report anything of substance because we are propagandists. And I got to say, there was a time when CBS actually had a reputation as being real journalists. How many... Walter Cronkite is rolling over in his grave at what has happened to CBS today. There's, I want to just talk about the quality of, of Catherine's reporting for a moment. There are reporters that you don't talk to. There's reporters that I don't talk to. You see them. You roll their eyes. You deal with it a lot more than I do. There's certain reporters on Capitol Hill. You're like, really? You again? Give me a break. Because you know they're hacks. When you when you saw Catherine and, and, and others, like there seemed to be mutual respect from both sides of the aisle because she wasn't partisan. She just was a truth teller in investigative journalism. It's something that we've lost in this country. And, and that's what ultimately, I think, made her lose her job at CBS. Look, sadly, what Catherine Herridge does used to be the norm in journalism. Yeah, You would have journalists who would actually investigate stories. They would follow the facts. They would report on the substance. That used to be how the entire enterprise worked. Now, and I really think this is post-Trump. Trump broke the corporate media. They hate him so much that they've abandoned any effort at truth-telling, any effort at reporting facts, any effort at being even-handed, any effort at reporting both sides. Instead, look, if you go back a decade ago, if you go back to 2014, 2015, you would have people at CBS, you'd have people at CNN, MSNBC, even MSNBC that would claim they're trying to be journalists and report both sides. What has changed is Trump convinced a lot of the so-called journalists and all of the corporate brass that reporting fairly was no longer acceptable, that Trump was the devil. And because he was the devil, their mission was no longer present both sides. Their mission, and this is the way they framed it, was to save democracy. And what they mean by save democracy is elect left-wing Democrats in every election, no matter what, which means never, ever, ever report on anything harmful to left-wing Democrats and only be propagandists for the left-wing of the party. Now, listen, I don't like the New York Times. I think they're a bunch of friggin' communists. I don't particularly like the Washington Post. I don't like much of the media. But bizarrely, Ben, I think they're valuable. How many years were you an employee of CNN? Seven years in hell is how long I was there fighting the good fight. Okay, but compare CNN. All right, you're, you're a former employee. You, you were an employee there from when to when? Gosh, it was, uh, I mean, go back, what, two years ago and then, and then add seven on to there. So in the middle of the, right before Trump w- uh, was elected, be, when, when it wasn't that bad, I was there for, I guess, about two years before the 16 election when Trump was elected, and then the wheels so, came off. So, so, so give your perspective, because you were a paid employee of CNN. Give your perspective of CNN before 2016 in the Trump election and after, because Look, uh, what I'm describing is real, but, but, but you experienced it from the inside. 
Yeah, when when I first got hired, it was funny. When I got hired by CNN, the, the, the call came in and they said, look, we want real and genuine conservatives on the air. I got hired, I think it was on the same day with Newt Gingrich. And they said, we want to have a robust debate. And it was, and, and that's exactly what it started out as. And even when they were covering Donald Trump in 16, remember, CNN would go wall to wall with him, campaign event after campaign event. And I, it was I, I remember huge. well. Yeah, it was huge for their ratings. You remember it. You were running against them. It was like CNN was giving, it was almost like the Trump News Network during the primary. And then once he got the nomination, and then once he actually looked like he might have a chance of winning, they started to turn a little bit. It wasn't until the night, and I was I was at CNN that night, all night long on election night, and you could see the shock and the anger because everyone there, from the highest up people... They w- assumed w- Hillary they, they was going to win. They assumed Hillary was going to win, so this was basically just great TV drama yep. until he won. And then when he won... They basically, and once he started saying they were fake news and he was in there going after them as the president and going after them in the, in the White House press briefing room and allowing Sarah Huckabee Sanders and others to fight back, they couldn't take it out on Trump enough, so they started taking it out on the con- commentators that were left. I was one of the last, I think, real conservatives left at CNN. I actually begged them to not re-sign me at the end. They had a right to sign and a, a right to match. And they did it anyway. And in my last year, they signed me to silence me. I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly, actually. Hmm. Uh, in my last year, I asked them not to. And they said, no, we're going to resign you. And I had another offer, and they were, they were going to match. And, and that was it. I can say this, and you'll laugh. I will go down in history as being the highest paid CNN contributor in history, if you count it per appearance. Because in the last year of my contract, when they extended it, they signed me to bench me just to say they had a pro-Trump commentator on the payroll. And I did a total of two appearances in 12 months under what? contract. Yes. What? Two appearances. Yes. That's, I, I, I've never really talked about this publicly. So uh, they re-signed me, and I said, please don't, and they did it anyway. And I, they didn't have me on for like three and a half, four months. All right, Ben, I, I don't want to out your personal finances, but I kind of do. <laughs> How much does CNN pay someone? <laughs> I mean, look, if you don't want to answer that, don't answer no, it, that, but it, I'm kind of curious. Depends. Yeah, it all depends on if you're hosting uh, what your past resume was, how long you've been there. Um, and so I made, I mean, low six figures when I was there. Uh, my so first contract. 100 grand, 100 pl- Yeah, 100 plus, over. I think is what it was. Um, and, and, it was and you it did was, two appearances in a year? In a year, in a year. So they paid you fifty friggin' thousand dollars per appearance? I, 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 a little more than that. That's why I said I go down in history as the highest paid CNN contributor in history per wow. appearance. Um, but they they bench me, and the Hollywood Reporter noticed that there was like two or three of us that were pro Trump, and we vanished from the screen because a normal week when I was there in the first you know six years. I would probably average four to six appearances a week. Some weeks would be 11, 12, 13 during the political campaigns. Uh, I did so many appearances in my first contract. That wait, they wait actually, I'm doing some quick math. Let's say five appearances a week, 52 weeks. That's over 250 appearances a year. That's, yeah. that's what you used to be. And you went from 250 appearances a year to two? To two in my last year. Two. 
And it was only, I did one appearance where they tried to, I, I think it was actually to try to get rid of me. They had me come on to defend Rush Limbaugh, and they tried to turn me into a racist bigot that was defending Rush Limbaugh that was anti-gay. And I didn't take the bait, and I was you could see I was very angry when I was on TV because I knew what they were trying to do. And it didn't work, and I didn't take the bait, and I fought back, and then there was a bunch of uh, articles from you know scumbags in the media that were trying to imply that I said something I didn't say. And then Hollywood Reporter noticed that the pro-Trump surrogates in essence these conservatives at cnn were had vanished from the air and they wrote an article so so i say this seriously and and look i don't watch cnn so but i can't recall a single pro-trump surrogate in years they've had yeah i can tell you i used to do cnn i didn't do it five times a week because they paid me zero and in my entire life i've been paid zero by cnn and uh you know i i feel it was a fair trade but i used to do cnn once a week consistently i haven't done them in years years because they're not interested in a fair discussion they are propagandists And they're not even Democrat propagandists. They are the left wing of the Democrat Party. And and it's not just CNN. Why did CBS seize Catherine Herridge's confidential source notes? That is extremely unusual, but it is a manifestation of the complete corruption of the corporate media. Now, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, you can go back and listen to the full podcast from earlier this week. I want to take a moment and have a real heart to heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception. And at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of 1000 2000 20000 All gifts are tax-deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now on to story number two. Let's talk about what's happening also with this adversary to Vladimir Putin uh, and, and give a little context here so people understand. The Russian regime has been trying to, to murder Alexei for now years. Uh, you go back to Joe Biden, and he even went on the record in Geneva, Switzerland, back on June the 16th of 2021, saying that there would be major consequences if he died in captivity by the by the Russians, by Putin. I want to play this from June 16, 2021. Mr. President, just a quick follow on the same theme of consequences. You said just now that you spoke to him a lot about human rights. What did you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the, the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. I'll go back to the same point. What do you think happens when he's saying it's not about hurting Navalny, this, all the stuff he says to rationalize the treatment of Navalny? And then he dies in prison. I pointed out to him that it matters a great deal. I, I mean, Senator, that was 2021. What changed? Well, actually nothing changed. And I'm going to explain in a minute that he didn't believe what he was saying then. But, but before I explain that, let's play what Biden is saying now, because even he is admitting today that what he said then was full of crap. Listen to what he's saying right now. Now is the time for even greater unity among our NATO allies to stand up to the threat that Putin's Russia poses. You know, I send my deepest condolences to Alexei's staff and supporters who are going to continue his work despite this loss, despite all of Putin's desperate attempts to stamp out the opposition, and most of all to his family, especially to his wife, his daughter, and his son, who have already sacrificed so much for their family and a shared dream for a better future for Russia. Now, that was him making his first statement at the White House. But then the media asked him that question. Hey, what happened to what you said three years ago? First, was this an assassination? The answer is I, we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and his, and his thugs did. And to be clear, you warned Vladimir Putin 
when you were in Geneva of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face? That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. I mean, Senator, he doesn't answer the questions. He says, ah, that was three years ago. And now because of the war with Ukraine, well, they, they've had some somehow some consequences that have nothing to do with killing this individual. Well, he, he did answer the question, actually. And, and his answer is nothing, that, that he's so weak, that he's so ineffective, that he's not going to do anything. And Putin knows that. Everybody else knows that. Navalny knew that. So last week, when, when, when the news of Navalny's death broke, here's the statement that I put out, quote, the Russian regime has been trying to murder Alexei Navalny for years to stop his criticism of Vladimir Putin's corruption and autocracy and to intimidate the Russian people from similar criticism. Tragically, they appear to have finally succeeded in murdering him. We must ensure that they will never succeed in silencing him. The regime interprets weakness from the United States as appeasement and has only escalated its oppression in recent years. The Russian people are entitled to express their views peacefully without fear of retribution. And I will work with my colleagues to hold accountable those in the Russian regime responsible for this atrocity. So that's what I put out. But I want to go back because I said that that uh, Biden didn't mean the, the tough consequences when he said that. How do I know that? Because if you go back to 2021, you go back to the beginning of the Biden administration where Vladimir Putin poisoned Alexei Navalny, actually he poisoned him in August of 2020, um, and he was poisoned with a uh, Novichok class nerve agent, uh, which is the same class that was used uh, by Russia in the 2018 assassin assassination attempt against a former British intelligence agency. It's 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 a. A, a strategy of murder that that the Russians are fond of poisoning. And and at the time, uh, Biden announced really mild sanctions on Russia, said, OK, we're going to slap your hand. And what I called for at the time was sanctioning and shutting down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Now, remember, Nord Stream 2 pipeline was a pipeline that Putin was building that went straight from Russia to Germany. It circumvented Ukraine. The entire point of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was to enable Russia to get its natural gas to Europe without needing to go through the pipelines in, in Ukraine. Why did Putin want the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? So he could invade Ukraine. I authored the sanctions that shut Nord Stream 2 down. I passed them into law in December of 2019 got overwhelming bipartisan support in the Senate, got overwhelming bipartisan support in the House. Donald Trump signed my sanctions legislation into law. And, and listen to this. Putin stopped building the Nord Stream 2 pipeline literally the day, the very same day that Donald Trump signed my sanctions legislation. The pipeline was done. Wow. That was December of 2019. December of 2020, I passed another set of sanctions legislation on Nord Stream 2, again with overwhelming bipartisan support. Again, Donald Trump signed it to law. The pipeline remained dead. Now, fast forward to January 2021. On January 20th, Joe Biden takes the oath of office. He becomes president. Four days later, four, 
January 24th, 2021, Putin resumes deep sea construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, literally four days into the Biden presidency. Why? Because Biden was already showing weakness. Putin understood Biden was weak. And by the way, that foreshadowing of weakness was true. It was accurate. Why do we know that? Because several months later, Biden formally waived the sanctions on Nord Stream 2. He gave Vladimir Putin a multi-billion dollar gift. He let him complete that pipeline. And that pipeline waiving those sanctions is why Putin invaded Ukraine. It is Biden's fault. But when Navalny, when Putin went after Navalny, I called on Biden. I said, all right, you gave Biden this gift of Nord Stream 2. How about now when Navalny's in jail? How about now? impose the sanctions on Nord Stream 2? How about now grow a backbone and stand up to, to, to Putin? And Biden refused to do so. Instead, put little slap of the wrist sanctions on it. And so when he said severe consequences, he didn't mean it in 2021. And, and, and he's admitted it now. The consequences he has in mind are nothing. And you know what? Putin will continue to behave worse, will continue to be more oppressive, will continue to, to, to be more of a threat. China, she will continue to behave worse, to be more oppressive, to be more of a threat. North Korea will, Venezuela will, Iran will, every enemy of America, Hamas will, Hezbollah will, all of them. When we have a weak commander in chief, America is at greater peril and every one of our allies is at greater peril. Senator, final question for you on sanctions. What is the point of having sanctions? And you mentioned multiple countries there that we have sanctions on that we're not doing anything. We're not enforcing the sanctions. And if the president and his administration will not enforce the sanctions, is there any checks and balances that, that can come into play on the House, the Senate, congressional oversight? Because if you've got the sanctions and they're worthless because you don't enforce them, who does that fall on and can it change? Well, it certainly can change, and Congress can force the president to do it. And and the best example of that, let's go back to Nord Stream 2, and, and I'll finish the story. When, when Biden waived the sanctions, my response is I put a hold on every single nominee at the State Department. I blocked them in the Senate, and it caused the Biden administration to go nuts. It caused Senate Democrats to go nuts. And I said, listen, Joe Biden is is handing a massive gift to Vladimir Putin. He is causing war in Europe. He is causing Russia to prepare to invade Ukraine. This makes no sense, and it is endangering Europe, our allies, and it's endangering America. For all of 2021, I had those holds in place. In December of 2021, I cut a deal with Chuck Schumer. I let, I think it was 34 of those holds go in exchange for scheduling a vote on new sanctions on Nord Stream 2 in January of 2022. Schumer agreed, so I forced the vote on the Senate floor. Now, when the vote came up in January of 2022, the week before the vote, President Zelensky in Ukraine publicly begged the United States Senate, please, please, please pass Cruz's sanctions legislation. This legislation is the last best hope to stop Russia from invading Ukraine, to avoid war. That same week, the government of Poland put out a formal statement pleading with the United States Senate to pass my sanctions legislation. Poland said, if you do not do so, 
Russia will invade Ukraine. Now, Ben, that is highly unusual. Foreign countries generally do not put out statements on particular votes in the Senate asking the Senate to do something. In this case, both Ukraine and Poland put out those statements. The day of the vote, Joe Biden came 16 blocks from the White House down to Capitol Hill. And he went to the Democratic Senate lunch and he personally lobbied the Democrat senators. This was the first time he had done so since he became president. And he came there to lobby them. His request was, please, please, please vote against Cruz's sanctions legislation. Please vote for Russia and Putin. So twice when I had introduced my legislation and passed it to law, all the Democrats had come together and supported it. So they were on record twice supporting my my sanctions in january 2022 because of biden's personal lobbying 44 democrat senators flipped their votes they voted against sanctions they voted in favor of russia they voted in favor of putin and as a result a month later russia invaded ukraine and we have still today the biggest war in europe since world war ii look I'm someone who hates war. Yeah. I am very reluctant to go to war, but I agree with Ronald Reagan. I agree with Winston Churchill. I agree with Donald Trump in the philosophy of peace through strength, that the best way you avoid war is being strong enough your enemies don't want to mess with you. And sanctions can be a very powerful tool for avoiding war. What the Biden White House is all about when it comes to our enemies is weakness and appeasement. And waiving these sanctions directly caused the war once the pipeline was complete putin's view was he could invade because he could still get his gas to europe even if the pipelines in ukraine were destroyed as before if you want to hear the rest of this conversation on this topic you can go back and download the podcast from earlier this week to hear the entire thing I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion when a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life and by six weeks the eyes are forming by 10 weeks a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb and for just 28 dollars you could be the difference between life or death of a child all gifts are tax deductible and i want you to donate All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get back to the big story number three of the week you may have missed. Senator, I want to move lastly to this other issue, and that is, it is weird. The media seems to be turning on Joe Biden. Headlines now coming from major news organizations. The Washington Post, for example, had this headline. What happens if Trump or Biden can no longer run for president? Obviously, they're trying to act like Donald Trump is in cognitive decline. It's not happening. And we know it's different with Joe Biden. The New York Times even said this. How old is too old to be president? An uncomfortable question arises again. And. Now the New York Times taking heat for that headline. I want to get your reaction to this moment uh, on Fox News Channel as they describe this turning on the president. On the story, thanks for being here this afternoon with us, everybody. Um, Interesting. When you take a look at a theme that seems to be emerging in the coverage of this campaign, this presidential race, right? Check out some of these recent headlines. Quote, what we know about cognitive decline. Quote, what happens if Trump or Biden can no longer run for president? How old is too old to be president? These are not your typical election year headlines, but this is clearly not a typical election year matchup if it turns out to be uh, these two presumed nominees. So the publisher of the New York Times is standing by his papers reporting on the president's quote unpopularity and his age but says that the White House is not happy. In fact, he says they're extremely upset about the coverage that they're getting at the New York Times. And take a listen to this exchange just a short time ago as President Biden left for a fundraising trip to California. Watch. Going to California. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Well, I'm looking for I'm looking at you. We're looking at you. Okay. Uh, with that, we bring in our... I mean, he didn't even know what they were talking about, Senator. And and you can see the media flipping on him. Is this the beginning of the end of his presidency with the Democratic Party figuring out how to offload him? 
Yeah, look, that was weird. That exchange at the end being asked, are you going to California for a plan B to talk to Gavin Newsom? Look, that was a nasty little question, but but his answer was bizarre. It was a non sequitur. It made no sense. And, you know, those three headlines that, you, that, that the Fox story just read, the first one was from the Wall Street Journal. The second one was from the Washington Post. The third one was, was from the New York Times. And, and, and I do think we are seeing the corporate media uh, starting to turn on Joe Biden. And, and we've talked at length. L- listen, it was this podcast that drove news and, and drove news across the country when we said months ago that, 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 that I believe there was a very significant chance the Democrat Party would pull the cord on Joe Biden, yank him out, and replace him with Michelle Obama. And I think if they do that, they're likely to do it either at the Democrat convention this summer or shortly thereafter. And we're seeing the corporate media, which is one and the same with the Democrat Party, but but in many ways, they're the left wing of the Democrat Party. They're starting to get nervous. They're starting to realize, crap, if it's Biden against Trump, we think Trump's going to win. And so they're, they're, they're hitting the panic button. And, and I think we're going to see more of these stories as the media turns on them. I, I, I do think you're seeing both Democrats and the media getting very, very worried about Joe Biden's ability to win in November. When you are running for president, you've done this before, and you see something this significant of a change in the news cycle. Joe Biden has had three years of basically a media that's been covering for him. I think that's why he was so shocked when he had uh, that the, the report that came out about his cognitive decline and couldn't answer basic questions. And then he came out with that very angry, uh, uh, really dysfunctional press conference at night. And the media didn't get back in line since then. So when you see this, who is moving the needle? Is it donors who are saying we're not going to give money anymore? Or is it the, the, the leadership of the Democratic Party saying we got to figure something out, we got to figure it out fast, or could it even be both? So I don't think it's donors, and, and I don't think it's anyone cutting off money. And understand, the Democrats and the media would be perfectly happy if they could wave a wand and put Joe Biden there four years more. They're not worried that he's incompetent to be president. They're not worried that the Department of Justice says he's not competent to stand trial. They're not worried that that he's such a weak commander-in-chief that our enemies are attacking our allies and threatening America. They're not worried that he lacks the competence to do the job. That There's only one thing they're worried about, that he would lose. If they believed he would win, they'd be perfectly fine to weekend at Bernie's him, to stand him up as, as, as a corpse and say, Joe Biden's there and let's keep pulling the puppet strings. Their concern is they're worried he's going to lose. And that is a very real and, and acute concern on their part. It's, it's also worth noting, you were talking about the press turning on him. You know, there's a real difference between Republicans and Democrats. Look, on, on my end, the press has always turned on me. They're always hostile. Every question they're asking, they're, they're, they're looking to screw me nine ways to Sunday. That, that's just when, when you're – and by the way, and, and, and you've been in the Capitol with me, Ben, as you know, when I walk from my office to the Senate floor, and I do so repeatedly, whether it is to vote or to go to meetings or to go to committee hearings, I'm walking back and forth through the Capitol, and there's a cluster of reporters that surround you, and they ask you hostile question after hostile question on every topic under the sun. Sure. and. If you're a Republican, especially a conservative Republican, you're used to just getting constant barrages of attacks. 
The Democrats don't get that. They, they get the kind of questions. Remember Joe Biden in his first year in the White House, the reporters would ask him things like, Mr. President, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? I mean, I mean that, still that, that, that was right. What are you eating, Mr. President? Yeah. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. It, it, it's it's they're like groupies chasing the Beatles, throwing their panties at him. And that's just the guys. I mean, I mean, it is it's pitiful. And 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 so he is really startled because he's not used to any scrutiny. He's not used to journalists actually being journalists. By the way, there is this phenomenon for Republicans as well. If you remember John McCain. John McCain used to get lots of adoring press coverage because when he was a Republican senator, he would often attack other Republicans and the press and he would attack them from the left. And the press loves it when a Republican attacks other Republicans from the left. It's the best way to get good press. You get called a bipartisan statesman when you agree with the Democrats and attack your fellow Republicans. Well, when John McCain got the Republican nomination, and, and you and I both supported John McCain once he was our nominee. Yeah. But the press turned on him and turned viciously on him. If you remember, McCain made a comment, something like, I, I don't understand. I thought you guys were my base. Yeah. And, and he was completely startled because and it's the same sentiment Biden's ha- having when you're used to just getting your, your hindquarters kissed by the media. When they start biting, you don't know how to handle it. And, and one of two things is going to happen when it comes to this, Senator. They're either going to get back in line after trying to, you know, step out and see, will others follow us, right, and, and test the waters, or they're going to keep going. What's your prediction? Well, if he stays the nominee, they'll get back in line, and they'll immediately begin saying it's ageist and racist and horrible to even ask these questions. And, and they have no shame. So this is the moment where they're trying to see if they can push him out and replace him with Michelle Obama. If they can't, if he doesn't go, if if we get to September and Biden's the nominee, the media will suddenly be completely silent on this front and will attack anyone who dares raise the same questions they're raising right now. As always, thank you for listening to Verdict with Senator Ted Cruz, Ben Ferguson with you. Don't forget to download my podcast and you can listen to my podcast every other day. You're not listening to Verdict or each day when you listen to Verdict afterwards. I'd love to have you as a listener to, again, the Ben Ferguson podcast. And we will see you back here on Monday morning. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.